Hi everyone, and welcome to episode number 248 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel we have Curtis Mikkel. Hello. And I'm Ruben Lerner, and our guest this week is Jason Resnick. Hey Jason. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Um, why don't you tell us about yourself so you don't remain a mystery man for long. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. And uh, I am Jason Resnick, as you mentioned, and better known as Res Online. Most people know me as that. And I'm a web developer, freelancer, consultant. Um, I specialize in established e-commerce businesses, helping them basically increase their conversions, which bottom line is sales, through strategy and implementation. But I also help out other freelancers as well. Wow, that's pretty great. Uh, how, how long have you been doing this for? Oh, geez. Uh, long time. Um, I've been freelancing for parts of, I guess it would be about 18 years, full time now for seven. So um, the sort of tagline that we had attached to our calendar was that you're going to tell us uh, how, how you dramatically increased your monthly revenue um, like 10 times in six months. So since you've been freelancing for a while, now, we, we all expect to be doing the same, by the way, by the end of the show. So no, 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 no pressure. Is there um, a money back guarantee? <laughs> yes. You get okay, the money great. back for listening to the show. Whatever we paid for it. Eh? Good. Yep. Thanks. Worth every <laughs> <laughs> So, so what were you doing? Like, what have you been doing throughout the period freelancing? And then what did you change that? And then we'll talk about sort of like what specifically you did, but like, what, what, what was like the, the big change that you made, I guess, just sort of in a strategic terms that even enabled you to think in such terms of like, changing your revenue by so much? This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what, what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. So if you check them out at the show's link, that's Hired.com slash Freelancer Show, you can get double their normal hiring bonus. That's $600 instead of $300. So go check them out at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. What, what was like the, the big change that you made, I guess, just sort of in a strategic terms that even enabled you to think in such terms of like changing your revenue by so much? Yeah, I mean, uh, I wish it was something that was like some big revelation as far as wanting to change the way that my business was run. 
but the revelation really was was that I was going away for three weeks for my honeymoon, and I wasn't sure what kind of a business I would have a couple months after that, right? So once that like three weeks hit, you know, I wasn't sure really where that was going to go. So because I was a a generalist web developer, I wasn't focused in on anything. I basically took any and all projects coming my way that were WordPress based, at least. Um, and I just figured I was like, OK, I have to be able to have a much more predictable way of bringing in income uh, more so than I already had. But even though that I was, you know, obviously at that point I was pretty sustainable, but it was just the fact that I was chasing that next project all the time. Right. I mean, it was I was always contract based. It was always, you know, who's in the pipeline next? Let's get them going and out the door, that kind of stuff. So um, I wanted it to be a little bit more predictable and more a little bit more reliable. And obviously the holy grail is recurring revenue. Right. Um, so what I wanted to do was really focus in on how to satisfy my clients with a solution to their problems that they had. And for one, I had a client base and I had many past clients. And this was about in 20, I guess it was 2013, late 2013, I really started thinking about this. Um, and I was like, how do I leverage my existing client base to build re recurring revenue? And I went down the road of maintenance and I saw what that did, you know, and, and it was, you know, little uptick on the recurring revenue but it wasn't so much that i could replace it the contract based stuff with so um my thought was how do i figure out what my clients need and for me that was really just talking to them like as a developer <laughs> i know that we don't necessarily enjoy phone calls um but that's really the only way to know what exactly your clients need is to have a conversation with them so I decided that I would set up a few calls with the clients that I really enjoyed working with, their projects, uh, their personality, that kind of stuff. And just for 10 or 15 minutes, really just ask them a, a couple of questions to figure out what their big solutions were. And out of those calls came my recurring revenue service. And what do you mean by recurring revenue? Because I think of that as like maybe a, a retainer deal with one or more clients. Um, is that what you're talking right. about? Um, sort of. I mean, what I do is I basically learn from my clients that for one, I enjoy working with e-commerce, uh, clients and projects because for me, I feel like I can affect the bottom line. Right. And I think that they're from part of the one percenters, you know, as far as techies go, I hate seeing a bad e-commerce site. Right. <laughs> like, so, um, for me, I was like, okay, let me, let me focus in on those clients and see what their problems are. And a lot of the problems that they had were being able to do what they needed to do online from the perspective of new features, building in more, I guess, more um, flow through their checkout process, but also learning about their customers in a way that they know they needed to. Like I had a couple of brick and mortar clients at that point and then they treated both business like both things online and offline as almost separate businesses and hearing the way that that customer talked about their offline 
customers, I wanted him to talk like that, like all customers, right? Like he really understood his customers and everything like that. So I started getting a sense that all my clients were very similar. So I started asking those kind of questions, like how well do you know your clients? Um, what is your site site look like what's the performance of it or do you have metrics set up these kind of things like is there ways that we can improve the checkout process um so it was all of these kind of things and that's really what i do is is i get a client i look at their site do an evaluation with them really understand where they want to go for their business um and i do that through a kickoff discovery meeting and I learned about what they want to accomplish online. Um, sometimes it's adding things to, you know, adding features like their inventory system. Um, sometimes it's just they have an out-of-the-box WooCommerce install and they're seeing some traction and they want to capitalize on that traction even more. They want to get more through the door. So um, it's just doing that time and time again with my clients and then building in things like right now, I'm doing a lot of email marketing automation, um, on-site personalization based around that kind of data. Um, so it's just learning about the business at hand, what their goals are, and being able to implement it for them in a way that it's done for them. They don't have to hire a full-time developer. Uh, they just kind of toss it my way and I say, you know, as long as it keeps us on track with what we're working on right now, then let's do it. If not, then let's back burner it and address it again later. And are you, I guess there's sort of two follow-up questions to this. One is how long do these engagements typically last then? And another is, are you doing the actual implementation development or are you just sort of making suggestions where they can make adjustments and then letting someone else do the implementation? Uh, the first question is I have six long-term clients and by long-term, I mean at least two years. Um, and then I rotate out usually two other clients and those usually last about six months. The second question is, um, it's all me, right? So I'm sitting with the, cu the customer, the client and learning about it. And then we come up with a strategy and then I implement it for them. Very nice. But that also means that over two years for you know half a dozen clients, you've managed to month by month increase their revenue enough that they'll come back to you and pay you more because they figure there's even more, well, maybe not low-hanging fruit anymore, but medium-hanging fruit that you can still find and, and improve things on. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I mean, basically, I a lot of times I show my value just by that low hanging fruit, like you said, um, just by optimizing some of their carts and checkout pages can increase them 10, 15, 20%, right? Um, but uh, once they see that, it basically gets their ROI back on, you know, on my invest, on their investment in me. Um, and then they kind of see like, hey, he knows what he's talking about. He's already affected us in a positive way. So, uh, let's keep going. Very interesting. Now, let me ask the semi-obvious question, which is, or maybe obvious to those of us doing the podcast for a while, how would this change in what you're doing for people, change your income, right? You're still helping businesses. You're still working on their websites. So, like, why would they suddenly start paying you more 
for doing, from your perspective, roughly the same thing. I assume it's roughly the same thing. Maybe I'm wrong. Right. No, you're right. I mean, it's roughly the same thing. And they're paying me more because I'm able to anchor myself to what I'm bringing back to that business um, rather than looking at, you know, colleagues and, you know, other freelancers in the market and seeing what they're charging. I'm actually just positioning myself against their own business and make it a no brainer for them. Um, you know, for example, like, you know, just taking if I'm able to bring back them $10,000 in a month, my fee of $2,000, let's say, is is a no brainer. Right. So um, that that's that's what I learned along the way to do rather than let's look at the hourly figure that the market is bearing at this point and there's plenty of work out there and let me see if I can price anchor myself to that work instead. Very, very nice. And what was the hardest part of transitioning over to this different pricing model? Um, I think it was probably myself uh, because you know, it's always that thing where like when you pivot, you kind of get a little apprehensive and maybe in your own way a little bit because like I had client base. Um, I knew some of those clients wouldn't turn over to this and I was like, okay, now I'm going to lose all that income. Um, but it got to a point where I knew that every time, like if I looked back in the years of every time I kind of shifted direction in some sort of way, what, how, no matter how small it was. I might have lost a client, but I got another client that was more in line of where I wanted to go. So I said, hey, let's just uh, hopefully this, you know, I, I know, Curtis, you don't like that, but hopefully this works out the same, right? You know, so. Hope that, is that not was, a strategy. Come on. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Even saying that, I agree. There is some method of like, we're going to plan this and we hope it works. It sounds like it's sane, but we hope it works. And then right. relying on your, and your experience, like you said, you weren't just hoping you're like, okay, I've done this and I'm convincing myself that this works because I've seen it work, even though it does right. always feel like a risk when you change those pricing strategies or any part of your core business like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what it was. Is like, you know, I, at heart, I'm a gambler. Like I, you know, I do take risks. I've always taken risks. Even growing up, I was, you know, skateboarder and, you know, do all those kind of things. But like, I like to take calculated risks. So like I did, I did go back into my accounting and all that stuff. And I remember where I pivoted or changed direction or whatever. And I looked at the figures and there was an uptick every single time. So I was like, okay, this is a the biggest pivot, but even the small pivots worked. So let's, let's give this a go, you know? And I basically said that, you know, January one, and this was uh, January one of uh, 2015. I said, everybody is going to this model, right? So I basically sent out an email and I said, listen, here's what I'm doing for me to be sustainable. I, you know, I basically, I'm very transparent with my clients. So I said, you know, for me to be sustainable as a business and to continue providing you great services, this is where I'm taking the business. Um, if you want to jump on, here's the price. Um, if not, I'll be happy to refer you to somebody that I think will do just as good a job as me, but still kind of fit in line with where you want to go. Um, and 
you know, I lost a bunch, but you know, a bunch stayed on and you know, I've obviously I've gained more, you know, through, through the years. Uh, by the way, I would I would say this does like what you just described is not using hope as a strategy. It's being optimistic that you can succeed, but it's also learning from your mistakes and you know swiveling around or using that dreaded word piv- pivoting until you find the right balance of what's good for you and what's good for your clients. Right? If you were to right. go in and just sort of say, "Well, I hope that X and Y and Z works," well, that's not so good. But if you say, "I hope X and Y and Z works," and if it doesn't, then I'll change according to the market needs. Well, that's that's what you got to do. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, it's a, for me, freelancing has always been a long-term game because I always wanted to have a certain lifestyle at the end of it. Um, and my lifestyle is being available for my family. So, um, for me, I looked at it like, okay, this is also a way that affords me the time later on too, right? Because I could provide the same solution to every single client even if the clients are different, right? They, so I've had custom guitar makers. I have a, you know, nonprofit, you know, so, I mean, it's a wide range of different clients, but I basically do the same thing for them. Um, but to be able to know and predict that that income's going to be there, um, that makes my life and my family more stable. And the crucial point to notice with Jason is that he didn't start by saying, well, I just figured this might work. He said, I started by talking to my clients, mm-hmm. right? And most, many freelancers I talk to or I have interacted with, uh, they start with, oh, I figured this would probably work. And they didn't talk to their clients at all first. So they didn't even have like, you know, they weren't, didn't even know they were heading, you know, in sort of the right direction, right? They didn't know they were sort of heading north where they were going to go. They were like heading in a totally different direction there. By the time they talk to clients, the clients are like, what are you talking about? Right. I don't want any of those things. Yeah. I mean, that, that for me was a something that, because I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a sales guy at all. Right. I'm a developer. Um, So I don't, I wanted to know why certain clients of mine stayed with me. Um, I wanted to know why they chose me in the first place. Uh, So I just asked, right. Instead of me trying to guess, you know, why not ask them? And, you know, some, you know, some of it was generic and stuff like that, but other ones were, you know, enlightening and it allowed me to market myself better because, Hey, if, you know, people like this, you know, I want more of these clients. So if they like that part of what I'm doing for them, well, then there's probably other people too. Um, with, with your recurring revenue, uh, clients. So do you have them sign a contract for some number of months? Like, cause you said you want to know, be able to have predictable income and it sounds like there's a good way to do it, but that presumably means that you've signed with them for, uh, you know, three months, six months, a year in advance. Is that, is that how you do it? No, uh, it's a month to month, but when we first start working, I always tell them, um, expected time right so i don't like i i worked i worked for agencies that locked in their clients for a certain number of years like a cell phone contract or something like that and even worse right um and for me early on that wasn't something that i ever wanted to do i wanted to be able to provide value to my clients and if they weren't getting that value out of me that they thought that they would then i didn't want to hold them to anything because then that's just you know that that's no good for anybody so I just basically say, hey, look, it's a month-to-month contract, but um, 
we're looking at probably three, six, 12 months, you know, whatever. So I set the expectations on right off the bat before they even, basically before they even sign on the dotted line. So that this way they kind of know, okay, well, he's going to be here for a little while. And if, you know, that kind of holds my feet to the fire as well, right? So like if I say something's going to take six months, um, you know, I usually have a milestone within the first month. Uh, Then I'll do something at three months and then six months. So, um, you know, if I don't meet that first milestone, you know, that's going to put some doubt in their mind, right? So they're going to be like, okay, he didn't even hit the first one. How's he going to hit six ones? You know, so um, that's kind of how I look at it. And I basically, you know, I asked them, I say, look, you know, if you want to go, go. You know, I don't want to hold you here. Um, Just allow me at least five days before the end of the billing cycle so that I could just take you out of the system. And, you know, I've, everybody seems pretty good with it. You know, I have never had any pushback on that or um, anything like that. I think, I think for my client's perspective, if I lock them in, then they might feel of a higher risk because my recurring is not cheap. Right. Um, but it's, you know, it's, a lot of people are like, holy cow, like, <laughs> how do you charge that much, much per month? Um, but when you come right down to it, if it's just one person coming, it's, it's not that expensive over the course of an entire year. But they'll look at it from the perspective of past interactions that they've had with other freelancers and other developers and stuff like that and be like, oh, this is, this is really expensive. Uh, I don't know if I want to get in, in this. I don't want to lock myself in. So um, I kind of do that both sides right so like i don't want to hold them um and i want them to feel a little bit more comfortable but for me it holds my feet to the fire so that this way i could prove myself pretty pretty quickly and then they're like they're hooked at that point uh, you, you you mentioned us now uh milestones and uh, so it, it sounds to me like one of the things you do with these clients is you set up these milestones so that you'll know what you're working on for them and how to measure your own progress. And they'll also have a concrete metric of, of how you're doing. Um, if that's the case, can you describe maybe what some of these milestones might be and, and when you discuss them and how often you discuss them with your clients and then update them? Sure. Um, the milestones for me are, I mean, it obviously depends on what they're trying to accomplish. Um, but usually when I get a new client, it's a lot of times out of the box WooCommerce, and I guess I should mention that I do work strictly with WooCommerce. Um, so, oftentimes there's, you know, they add in all these plugins. They, their site might be a little slow. Um, you know, they might even have like all of these cross sells, upsells, all these other kind of widgets that are throughout the cart and the checkout process, and all this other kind of stuff. Um, and a lot of times, just eliminating those things you could do you can have an increase in in throughput through the checkout process so i oftentimes say okay in the first month let's clean up your site let's make it more performant let's make it faster let's make sure that it's uh you know i i wind up showing them amazon.com often because i say to them you know look at your your checkout page your checkout page if if you get up from your chair and you stand 10 feet back from the screen, can you tell me what your action is on this page? 
And oftentimes they can't because everything is washed out with, you know, other buttons and other text and everything else. And I say, well, the checkout page should be one thing. It should be checkout, right? Like they're ready to give you money. Why are you distracting them with eight other buttons that look exactly the same? Uh, and then they often say, well, I don't want to do that because I get other add-ons and stuff like that. I say, well, go to Amazon, right? Do <laughs> If you look at Amazon, when you get to that checkout page, there's nothing else there for you to do. Even the continue shopping button is gone, right? Um, and once they see that, they're like, oh, well, I never noticed this before. <laughs> I say it's all psychology, really. You know, if you don't give them any other options to do, then they're just going to check out. And then you could sell them on the upsells afterwards, right? Because they've already bought from you, so they trust you. So those are usually the low-hanging fruit that I work through initially. Um, and then it's really based around what their project is, what they're trying to accomplish. Some people want to build in email automation. Some people want to build in inventory, you know, uh, inventory plugins and things like that. So um, the other milestones after that are usually development-based milestones. That's great. So so do you like talk about upcoming milestones once a month, once every two months, whenever you finish them? Are you trying to figure out how to stay current with Ruby and Rails? I'm putting on a two-day online conference called Ruby Remote Conf. You can check it out at rubyremoteconf.com. Like I said, it's a two-day conference where you can come and listen to speakers and experts from all around the world talk to you about issues pertaining to Ruby and web development. We have an online Slack channel, a roundtable discussion on Zoom, and all of the talks are given over Google Hangouts, and all of the talks will be streamed to you live. Come check us out at rubyremoteconf.com. That's great. So so do you like talk about upcoming milestones once a month, once every two months, whenever you finish them? Yeah, what I do is I will hold weekly scrum calls, I call them. And, you know, us in the development space, scrum calls means a certain thing, but I don't. <laughs> it's not anything agile based. It's just what I call it. And basically what it is, is it's a weekly call that we have at the same time every single week. Um, and it's where we can touch base, basically saying this is what we did this past week. This is what we have going on next week. Uh, this is where we're at um, overall. And is there anything that you have on the plate that's going to change any priorities that I already have set up? So basically, it's every week that there's a check-in. Um, and it, it's good for one, for what you, you, you describe, like, you know, to be able to check in on those milestones but also to be able to kind of quell those calls that you get when you're really heads down. Um, because, I mean, you know, you guys know that once you're in development mode to have a phone call interrupt you, it, it takes a lot, right? It takes a lot of energy to come out of the heads down spot and then go back into it. So they know that this we have this call reserved every single week. So for me, that... They hold their call. They they usually hold all their questions till that call, right? So they don't call me on a Tuesday because they know that they have a call on Thursday. So um, for me, that's also been able to, you know, kind of systematize myself in order to be able to, you know, provide a good service over and over again. 
I, I think a lot of new freelancers, maybe even many non-new freelancers, are going to listen to what you're saying. They're going to say, wait a second. This guy has a background in software, and he's all he's doing is basically optimizing e-commerce websites. Like, isn't that boring? Isn't that annoying? Like, where's the glory and fun and cool stuff of working with software? Uh, well... <laughs> doesn't mean I don't get to do the new cool stuff. Um, but for me, I like, you know, for one, I like to be able to have the time. Like my business is built to build, you know, to live my life, right? And living my life is away from the screen, right? Like so I enjoy my family. I enjoy travel. I enjoy going out with friends and things like that. So um, I look at what where the profits are, right? So Sure, I could try the new shiny bleeding edge technology all the time. And I did that for many years, right? And, you know, being a generalist, you try that new shiny object thing, you don't know what kind of timeline you have for some projects, right? Like it could be a week, it could be a month, it could be six months. You don't know because if you've never worked with it before, how are you going to know? Um, but for me also, it's it's being able to help customers, right? Like. You know, I mean, I've I've had several high high well known brands customers, but most of my customers are small, right? And that's fine for me because I've affected their business in a positive direction. So, for me, I don't look at it as like a you know, like hey, I don't get to do any Node.js or any of that kind of stuff or Ruby on Rails and all that. I mean, I was a Ruby on Rails developer for a long time. I've done some Node applications and things like that so it doesn't mean i can't do that stuff um it's just not the core of my business excellent answer <laughs> you, you get to stay on the podcast uh <laughs> <laughs> so what do you say to customers now if they come to you with not an e-commerce project um it depends uh if it sounds like an interesting project for me and I'm a good fit for them, and I have the time, I do take one-off projects. Um, I only schedule in one of those one-off projects at any given time because obviously the core of my business is the, the services side. So um, I've done those kind of things. I've done those projects. But if it's not a fit, if it's just you know a project that you know, is either, you know, too general for me, or it's not something that I enjoy doing, or it's, you know, something where I know another person would be better suited for this, then I'll just tell them that right off the bat. And I'll introduce them to somebody else or point them in a different direction so that they can get uh, their stuff done, you know. Saying no is a yeah, pretty powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Most productive word you have in your vocabulary. Yes. Um, I forgot what I was going to say now. So. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, I think a lot of freelancers, especially developers, when they first start out, they think that they have a skill, right? They, or they know they have a skill, right? And they think they can run a business. Um, and Hey, I was there, I did it. And I, I found myself sitting at a full-time job again, real quick inside of two years. Um, but 
to be able to at least be somewhat of a people person and interact with your clients and learn about them and learn about their business, uh, even learn about their likes and dislikes too. Um, you know, I can, I can do that on those weekly calls and it goes a long way in order to build those personal relationships because that's what businesses are about, right? Like they're about people, you know, it's not a, it's not a couple logos talking to each other. It's a couple of people talking to each other. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's what I like to help other freelancers do, right? Like other introverts and other developers and things like that. And, you know, I, I've been talking to other freelancers, you know, hey, how did they come out to me in the hallways of conferences and meetups and things like that? And they're like, how do you how do you do what you, it is that you do? And I have no problem talking about it. something that I enjoy doing. And how do you get new clients? I mean, it sounds like you've got a pretty full plate now, which is great. But um, how, do, how do people find out about you? Do you do any active marketing? Um, I mean, I do some marketing. Uh, you know, I, I, I write, I podcast or have a podcast. But the thing is, a lot of what I do is built on those relationships because I do have, um, you know, I work with certain vendors all the time. So I've made friends in their support teams and and you know in some cases some of the owners and you know i'd let them know what i do and knowing that they're a vendor and they're a support team and so every request that they get they're going to look at it from the perspective of their product right then they're not going to look at it from the perspective of their customer's product um so i just say hey look if you're going to you know, refer work, is there a list that I could go on or something like that where they are more than happy to add me because they're, if they refer one of their customers to somebody else that is able to solve their problem, then they look good too, right? So um, a lot of my, it was funny because I was asked besides word of mouth, which most of the time people, you know, our businesses are word of mouth based. Uh, what's the second, you know, in second avenue for getting business? And I had to think a lot about it, but that would be my second because I do get a lot of business from these vendors. That's pretty great that these vendors and the support people trust you enough and know you well enough to recommend people to you. That That's a fantastic place to be. In. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, it's not without them, you know, me being able to prove myself to them. You know, I mean, they might ask, add, ask for code samples or, you know, work or, you know, contribution to it or whatever it might be. Right. But to be able, you know, if, if I'm working with that product, I know it inside out. Right. Like I'm working with it. I'm customizing it and all that other stuff. And, you know, especially if I do go and meet these people, too, you know, that that there's a lot to be said for that, right? It's something where it's, uh, you know, it benefits everybody around, right? Like they, they get their, their customers are happy. They're happy because their customers are happy and I get more business. So. And how many clients did you bring along with you to the, uh, to the new pricing scheme, if any? Uh, 
so you mean based out of the the contract projects that I was working on? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it was like three at that time. I had well, actually, I think it was two, and I converted a past client into that. So I guess three, if you look want to look at it that way. And are they still clients? Uh, two of them are the past client and one of them. So what would you say the average length that you work with someone is now? Um, well, I could probably tell you, uh, well, um, I would say probably the average length is 20 months, 18 to 20 months. What's the biggest sticking point for new customers coming in as you tell them about this pricing or about how you work with people? Uh, it's, well, I think it would be 50-50 because I do ask that if they don't, if I don't sign on or if they don't sign on with me, rather, I usually ask them. Um, and I would say it's about 50-50 between one, the process or the price. Um, and I don't know why, oftentimes I don't know why the price is because I look at what they tell me their budget is and it's usually in budget. So I'm not sure, right? Um, I don't know if they just don't like paying monthly when they rather pay it like half up front and half at the end. I'm not sure. But um, the process one kind of, I guess, kind of surprised me um, because a lot of times, like if you go to a big agency or something like that, they have this process, right? They have some sort of account rep that you have to call in or the support team or something like that. There's a there's a, a project process that you could have to go through. Um, but I guess some people are adverse to that in some way. And they think that if they're getting somebody that's a quote unquote freelancer or a solo business owner, that it's just going to be willy nilly. But for me, I can't be like that because then I can't evaluate the profits effectively. So I'm curious, like, I mean, let's say someone's totally new at freelancing or thinking of doing freelancing. What, what would you suggest they like? What should they be their first steps? Well, what should they consider in terms of like exploring the space and figuring out what business direction to go in? Well, I always say that I, you know, I, I'm a firm believer, even though I went down the road of being a generalist for a very long time is to figure out who like the one client that you're solving a problem for, figure out what that is. Um, and because you know that if you're solving a problem for a, one client, um, there are probably other people out there with that same problem. Um, and if they're not, then you could charge whatever you want because you're solving a problem for somebody and nobody else has that problem, right? So um, you're both unicorns in that respect. Um, but the thing is too, is I look at it from the perspective of being a freelancer, you're not getting paid to sit at, in a cube or at somebody else's desk or something like that, you have that luxury of choosing who you want to work with and choose what kind of projects you want to work on. So I think that's as important 
um, you know, there's no reason for you to wake up during the day and, and hate what you're doing or hate who you're doing it with. And for me, that's a big deal because, you know, I, I'm sure all of, both of you have been there too, is you wake up and you're like, oh, I really don't feel like going into work today or I don't feel like working with that person or, you know, this is just dreadful, right? Um, so I always say you want to evaluate the client that you got to work with, the solution that you could provide to that client. Um, sec- thirdly, if, they, if they're willing to pay you to do it, and lastly, uh, if you enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know if every so often I would have these clients where I would see their, their phone number on my phone. I'd say, oh, no, <laughs> not them. And that was a clear sign I should not be working with them if I dread them calling me. Um, and, uh, you know, by, by contrast, I mean, uh, many listeners probably know I now most most times do training. Most days do training, and I just love it. I, I really get excited and enjoy. I get excited by enjoy talking to people, teaching them, seeing them improve, getting their questions, challenging me. It's like the best. So I really enjoy my work, and I feel very fortunate to have it. And it's just a sea change from when, you know, well, from when I would get these phone calls uh, you know, that, that I would dread. Or, and it was because even if I liked working with a client, very often it would be, I knew they were calling because there was a problem or a bug report. And it was just going to be an unpleasant conversation. Um, so yeah, yeah, finding that that happy place is very important. Yeah, and it was funny. I I realized that, and a small story is that one of my first job was a stock boy at a fabric store. Um and I was 14 years old. So obviously, yeah, that's where a teenage boy wants to be in a fabric store with, <laughs> you know, grandmas and stuff like that. So uh, I knew I, I could still pinpoint the the exact point at which I knew that I wouldn't be able to work for someone else because I was literally sitting on the floor organizing zippers. And I literally hated this job. Like it was something where I was like, this is not what I want to wake up on my weekends to do. I didn't want to come home from school and go to work. I mean, it was just something I, I, I hated doing. And I said to myself, I said, I vow from this day forward, I will never get another job that I hate doing. Like I can't just wake up in the morning and not want to go. Like, it's just not something that I want to do. So um, I knew very early on that that was important to me. And that's why I say that's why I said to your question earlier about the, you know, the new freelancer where you're thinking about freelancing or breaking away from the full time job. Um, it's important to, you know, if you're thinking about breaking away from your full time job, why are you doing that? It oftentimes because you don't want to be there. You don't want to do that work or you don't want to work with those people. So why would you jump into something else that's very similar, right? So I think it's just as important as choosing the projects. Well, I feel like you've covered everything I wanted to ask for now. Curtis, you got any more questions? Nope. Jason, any other uh, advice or suggestions before we move into picks? 
No, just, you know, I just, uh, a lot of what I do from a beginning of a, of a solo freelancer is think about processes and systems. So a lot for me is, is building that around. So, or building them out, so to speak. Um, so that I think is also helpful, right? Like you have to kind of know what you're doing each and every time so that all of your customers have the same experience. You have the same experience. You could predict what's going to happen next and that kind of thing. Have you ever felt like you're falling behind or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up? Then there's the issue of where to go to make sure you're up to date. The answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in Ruby. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got Ruby Rogues all day? Well, you can, kind of. We moved our Ruby Rogues Parlay forum to Slack. That means you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon, we'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at rubyrogues.com slash parlay. That's rubyrogues.com slash P-A-R-L-E-Y. You have the same experience. You could predict what's going to happen next and that kind of thing. Very nice. Uh, Curtis, you have any picks for us this week? Yeah, so I'm going to pick a set of headphones from Steel Series, which I've had for oh probably about a year and a half now. And then the Steel Series H wireless headphone. Uh, I love wireless headphones because I can walk around and pace in the middle of a call, which I do often. Um, and the mic is reasonable. Uh, it's not as good as the blue snowball that I'm using right now, but it is a reasonably good mic as well for taking client calls. And they sound really good and they block out stuff like my kids in the background quite well as well. Good deal. Uh, Jason, did you bring any picks with you? I have one pick. It's a, actually, it's an iOS app. It's called Copied. Um, being a new father, uh, <laughs> having being able to cut and paste on my phone is been wow. a new thing that I've needed. So I enjoy that now because it allows the past 30 clipboard, uh, I guess the... 30 clips that I've copied to my clipboard on my phone. Um, and it actually interchanges with the Mac too. So uh, that's extremely helpful as well. Very nice. And I've got a pick as well. It's a book. Well, I guess I'll, I'll recommend uh, both a podcast and a book. So I'm a, an avid listener uh, of uh, Slate Money, a weekly podcast about business and finance and so forth. And they just had, uh, as of our recording, they just had their second ever wine edition, where they talk about the economics of wine. I must say, I think the first wine edition that they did about a year or two ago was even better. Um, but it was still kind of fun and interesting to hear about the economics of the wine industry and what's involved. And one of their... Um, uh, guest uh, panelists was this woman named uh, Bianca Bosker, who was the technology editor at the Huffington Post, and decided one day, nah, I'm going to become a sommelier, <laughs> and left left uh, high tech journalism to learn about wine. And she wrote about all that in a book, 
which I am, I guess, about halfway through now and reading as fast as I can because it's so funny and interesting, called Cork Dork, uh, about the world of wine and sommeliers and sort of all sorts of other fascinating stuff. Um, and I'm not a very heavy wine drinker at all, but the culture surrounding it is truly fascinating and the extremes to which people will go to pay crazy prices for something to drink is really quite interesting to me also. So uh, if you're into wine or just sort of into finding out about how this fascinating industry works, uh, I definitely recommend the book. And I guess that brings us uh, to the end. Um, Jason, if people want to get in touch with you, what is a good way to do that? Yeah, as I said before, I'm Rez, that's R-E three Z's just about everywhere online. Uh, you can also go to res.com slash dev chat. And uh, if you're a listener, you're getting a, uh, a free process. It's actually the script for that call that I did with my clients to find out what they like and don't like about me. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the show. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening. And we'll be back next week on the freelancer show. Bye, everyone. Ciao. Yep. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.